0: I want you to uh, take your Bibles this morning if you have them and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. The book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. And I want us to begin our reading in the Word of God this morning in verse 12. Topic of our discussion will be the church, the body of Christ. The church, the body of Christ. Verse 12 says this, it says, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given to drink of one spirit. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body which seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers... Every part suffers with it, and if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Topic of our discussion this morning is the church is the body of Christ. Let me ask you a question as we begin this morning: How many of you enjoy, when you have the time, working on jigsaw puzzles? Raise your hand if you like. If you get a chance, you yeah, know you relax and chill. okay. Right, There's a number of us that enjoy that. Um, my response to that question is yes, if. Okay, what's the most frustrating part of working out a jigsaw puzzle? Yeah, you get all the way to the end and you don't get closure because and you blame it on your kids or your wife if you're the husband and if you're the wife you blame it on the husband and the kids. A, somebody lost a piece. And as a result, the picture that you were working on is, is incomplete, it's inadequate, it's insufficient. It leaves you feeling frustrated, like what you're working on really wasn't worth all the effort. Because somebody lost that piece that would, and the piece is not the whole picture, but it's frustrating because the piece was part of the picture. And when it all is put together, it becomes something that is very, very beautiful. Lessons learned from the jigsaw puzzle are very simple. Every part is crucial no part is the whole picture each part has a different shape or function a way it fits in a few parts together form an incomplete picture okay you put those little things those little sidebars together and you slide a spatula under and pick them up and place them in the middle and try to find its right spot those pieces are not the whole picture all of the pieces have to be present in order for you to have a complete picture that brings delight and satisfaction This. is a text about a unit that has many parts. It's a text about the physical or human body. From verses 12 down to verse 27, the word body is used 18 times. Okay, 18 times the word body is used to refer to Christ and His physical presence on planet Earth. I think it tells us that an understanding of the body is critical to healthy function as the body of Christ. I need to understand how the body works as an analogy or as an illustration of how the church is to function if it is going to be effective. Now let me give you these three thoughts just as by way of introduction. Number one is this. The human body is a unit, verse 12, but it has many parts. Okay, that's just an obvious statement. human body is a unit. But it has many parts. Second, the body of Christ is like or comparable to the human body. Okay, and that's where where Paul is going with this discussion. Okay, it's comparable to the human body. So at the end of verse 12, he makes this very brief sentence. So it is with Christ. What has he just said? The body is made up of many parts, but it is one unit has specific goals that it is going after. It has numerous parts. Humanly speaking, from what we know through technology today, it has innumerable, uncountable parts that make up a human body. And all of those parts serve unique functions that cause the body to become healthy. The human body is a unit. The body of Christ is like the human body. You can see it in contrast to the church. And then the third thought is this. The church is Christ's body look down to verse 27 just to tie this out so from verse 12 so it is with Christ verse 27 now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it okay and if you're looking at the New American Standard you see the word each one of you is a member of it okay talks about this idea of commitment and belonging and contribution okay so the physical body is a an adequate analogy of what the church in terms of the body of Christ is like okay now here's the question I want to pose to you this morning what can we learn from the human body that will help us that will encourage unity and deeper commitment in our church family what are the basic commitments that this text teaches that create a healthy church, what are the values that a healthy church family has? Okay, now, I'm going to give you six and a brief list. Okay? There are other things that could be added in here. One of my frustrations in preparing this discussion was there were so many other things that you could say from this text that I'm going to leave unsaid. I'm just going to try to boil it down to six basic, if you will, commitments or values that will help us to become a healthier church. And the idea is this. Every church has tendencies, uh, weaknesses. Every church has areas in which it needs to be strengthened. And my purpose in moving through this text is to beg the question, how can we become a healthier church for the glory of God? We're gathered together here this morning. A good number of us are present. Are we, as a church family, healthy in terms of function? Not are we all here, okay, but is the body healthy? Okay, the question this morning for me, if I was to go to a doctor, is not are all my parts here? They're all here. The question I have when I go to a doctor is, are they all healthy? Is everything working okay? It's why you do preventative maintenance in terms of your health. You're asking the question, not are all the parts here, but all the par- are all the parts that are there functioning as they should? And if they're not, what corrective measures can we take to see that my physical body, to see that the body of Christ becomes healthy? Okay, so these are the values. Verse 13 starts out our discussion. With this background laid, the church is the body of Christ. In verse 13, he says this. a fascinating statement. He says, We were all baptized... By one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all given to drink the one spirit. Okay, now, both of the verbs that relate to God's working in our hearts are passive. They're not decisions that individuals made. They're acts of God in response to repentance and faith. Okay, and I want you to make sure that you see that. We were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. We were made to drink of one Spirit. That is a picture of our participation in the work of the Spirit in the life of every believer. So the first thought is this. The first value that we as believers need to have is this. It is the value of gratitude. The value of gratitude. We all, that is every Christian, has something in common with every other Christian. And that is that we are all sinners who have been, as John read for us, redeemed by God. Okay, And to be redeemed is also passive, right? We didn't redeem ourselves. God took us out of sin and brought us into a new family. He did that irregardless of what? Look at verse 13. It says, whether you were Jew or Greek, whether you were on the inside crowd or the outside crowd, whether you were slave or fear, irregardless of status, irregardless of intellect, irregardless of how sinful one was. You came out of various categories and you now make up one body. And you are in this body as a result of the grace of God. This idea, just real quickly to understand, it, this idea of being baptized by the Spirit is the means by which God changes a heart, cleanses us, and incorporates us into something that we were not part of prior to that experience with the Spirit. Okay? And something else that emerges. Everyone who is in Christ is in Christ... As a result of being overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. And once overwhelmed by the Spirit of God, repentance and faith come forth and regeneration takes place in the heart and we become part of something different than what we were part of before. This work of grace, as Paul lays it out as a foundation for this discussion, this work of being baptized by one Spirit into one body, being brought in, this way of being incorporated into the body of Christ should produce in the heart of every believer deep and self-conscious humility. And what it also means is this. There are no second-class citizens in the body of Christ. Okay, and I think it's so important that we understand that. Everyone in the body of Christ is on equal footing with God. Because we all come in on the same terms. And, and what are you saying? regardless of our background. And in the body of Christ, what does Christ do? Christ topples all of the traditional barriers that keep people separated. And he makes them one. And in our hearts, what should that do? That should produce a deep gratitude because we all have something in Christ that is in common. Verse 14 then. He says, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Okay, what's this verse emphasizing? Okay, it's a value that needs to be present in the church. We need to value diversity in the body of Christ. Now, it's not talking about ethnic diversity or or all the various kinds of things that the world talks about. What it's talking about is spiritual gifting. God-given capacities that make us effective servants to each other in the body of Christ. So, we are all different In our gifting and in our talents. We are all different in our gifting and in our talents. If you go back to verse 7 of chapter 12. We looked at this last week. He says this. Now to each one. That is to every believer. The manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Okay. Verse 11. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. So God, in His wisdom, gives a diverse distribution of what we call, in this text, spiritual gifts. They are things related to the working of the Spirit in individual people. Okay. So the focus initially in verse 14 is on diversity, but in the background is verse 12, which talks about unity. The church is a body. It's one unit, but that unit is made up of diverse parts. And that's the accent point that verse 14 is placing. We're all different in gifting and talents. Now, the we in this text, I believe, ties into every believer who has had a personal encounter with the Spirit of God and has been indwelt and gifted by Him. Spiritual gifts are this. And I'll just give you this definition. They're divine enablements given by the Spirit to every believer, verse 7, for the common good. Okay, so there's diversity that feeds the unit. There's diversity of gifting and talents and capacities that makes the unit function effectively. The unit is a body. It's made up of many parts. and When all those parts are working together, the body is effective. Okay? I've recently had, uh, had to stop running. Okay? Because I have an issue with something called shin splints. Uh, I've grown to despise shin, shin splints. I took two weeks off of running, And I thought I was feeling better, and I ran three times last week, and Saturday, I was like, my legs were screaming again. So I have a problem. In terms of my desire to run, my body is rebelling. And it's not letting me be effective at that. And until that part is taken care of and iced and healed, I'm, I'm handicapped in terms of my desire to go out and do the things that I desire to do. We need to value within the context of the church our diversity. When a part is negatively affected, it hinders the function of the entire body of Christ. So we need to value gratitude. We need to value diversity. Third, we need to value unity. Verses 15 through 17 drive at this point. And it's, it's an interesting discussion because what it gives you is a, 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 a personification. It gives personality to parts of the body. Okay? And what you're going to find is this. The foot is going to speak, and the ear is going to speak. Okay, and when you read that, you should be thinking to yourself, that's that's not the way it works. Okay, so what is he doing? He's personifying the body part so that it begins to express a feeling that often is present within the context of the church, the body of Christ. And notice what he says in verse 15. He says, if the foot should say, now, in the human body does this happen? Okay. Does the body act this way? Okay, he's referring to an event that is extremely unlikely. Parts of the body don't tend to rebel in regards to their position and prominence. But in the illustration, he's saying, if the foot would say, hypothetically speaking, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Now, one writer put it this way. He said the lower extremity is rebelling because it doesn't like its position. The hands have more prominence. They have a greater degree of function. But that doesn't mean that the foot is not essential to a healthy body. That's the picture. Okay? And he also says, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Now what's going on here? We are to be deeply committed to the unity of the church. That's a value that makes the church effective. The idea is that we all, when we work together, are better than when we are alone. Okay, that's a a conviction that begins to settle in. The church is more effective when it understands that it is a unit made up of individual parts, but all the individual parts contribute to the healthy function of the church as a whole. We have, in relationship to that statement, two tendencies that are revealed in this text. We have a tendency at times to undervalue our gift and think like the foot and the ear are thinking in this text. Since I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. Since I'm not an eye, the ear says, I'm not part of the body. And Paul asks this question. Is it, as a result of that proclamation, that statement of rebellion, is it any less a part of the body? And if your foot says, you know what, I don't like being a foot. I want to be a hand. Does it stop being a foot? No. No. Okay, so we have two tendencies. One is to undervalue our gifts thinking they don't need me. Bottom line is, that kind of thinking doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the fact that God has given me a function in the body of Christ just because I don't like the function he's given me. The foot can be thinking, I'm not elegant and decorated like the hand. The ear speaks to the eye because people don't walk up to you and say, you know what, you have really beautiful ears. And I'll do that people all the time. When I met my wife I said to her I said you have beautiful eyes. Now we know that's all flattery and just you know all the stuff we're doing but we will comment Well, it's not My wife is down at the shore, okay? So it's very safe. Okay? But I did I told her she had beautiful eyes. But you don't, here's what happens. If people look at your ear, here's what they say. Ladies, that's a beautiful earring. They never say, you have really nice ears. Okay, why? Because the the ear's kind of weird looking. Okay, it's shaped in that way because it serves a very fascinating function. Its function is not to appear beautiful. It's not the purpose of the ear. The eye's... The eye scripture talks about the eyes that glow. It talks about beauty coming from the eyes. Their function is one of beauty. But what's happening in the analogy is, the picture is that the ear, because of the way it looks, becomes dissatisfied with its function and rebels and says, you know what? I just don't want to be part of the body anymore. And and the same analogy is true in relationship to the function of the, uh, the battle between the hand and the foot. Refusal, please understand, this refusal to function in the body of Christ that does not eliminate my God-given responsibility to serve in the body of Christ. Just because I'm not valuing the unity of the body of Christ doesn't mean that I am not responsible to God for my contribution. He gave me a gift. I don't like my gift. There's strong words that come to mind. Okay? But God is kind. You know, we say, somebody says to us, I don't like my job. We, you know, we want to say something like this. Well, tough. You're part of the family. Empty the trash. Okay, is God like that with us? You know, it's, it's fascinating when you listen to God as he begins to draw you to understand the importance of your gifts and talents when they are applied faithfully in the body of Christ. And his spirit will prompt you and say, you know what, I've given you this gift and I'm calling you not to reject your God-given function. I'm calling you to take your God-given gifting, your function, your talent, whatever it is, and, and bring it Bring it to bear in the body of Christ. Value unity by being deeply committed. Now, there's a flip side to this coin in verse 17. The flip side is pride. In verse 17, he says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And the implication becomes, uh, here's the words that come to mind for me. Absurd, grotesque, and ineffective. If the whole body were an eye, okay? If the whole body were an ear, think about that, okay? Think about a six-foot ear or a six-foot mouth, okay? Think about, I mean, Elbows and knees are great. Grateful we have them. But very few people have ever commented, me, commented to me about the, the beauty of my knees. I notice it. But most people have never walked up and said, you know what? You have, they're awesome. They're beautiful. The, or beautiful." You know, and if you took that, if you took a knee and you just made a big knee, what would you have? They're like, not attractive, ineffective, absurd, and grotesque. Now, what's going on in the church in Corinth? What's going on in the church in Corinth is this. There were people who had prominent gifts, who thought the church was all about their gift. And what Paul's saying is this, that's absurd, that's arrogant, because what the person with that gift is thinking is this, I don't need all the other people here. And it, what is it? It is, a, it is a complete disregard for the unity that God has put into the church by the design of diversity. It values its gifts and expresses disregard for the gift of others. And, and I think, in a sense, what Paul is saying is that's, that's just kind of gross. But folks, here's the bottom line. In the church, we all have tendencies, don't we? Tendencies to devalue our gifts or to overvalue our gifts. And when we do that, what do we bring into the church? Bring division. Who's going to realize that the ear, though unattractive, is vital. And that the foot, though profoundly unattractive, serves an incredible function in terms of the body as a unit. And what God wants to say to us, I believe, this morning is this. We need to look at the tendencies that we have in relationships to our spiritual gifts. Whether to devalue or overvalue. And ask ourselves this question. What steps do I need to do to take? To correct my understanding and thinking about the church. Because the input of every member in the body physically and in the body of Christ at large is essential to health. And both tendencies. They don't need me. I don't need them. Insecurity and pride. Both tendencies tend to do this. They tend to lay heavier burdens on the active parts of the body of Christ. That's why our commitment to the church as a whole becomes vital and crucial. Because if I don't bring my gift to bear, my gift of service, my gift of empathy, my gift of speaking, whatever your gift is, if I don't bring that gift out in the open and allow it to be used to unify the body of Christ, here's what happens somebody else in the church is carrying a heavier load. Somebody else is having to do more or too much because sometimes we're not willing to step up. And I believe there's a problem in the church today in America. I believe there's a problem at certain levels, even within our own church family, in regards to commitment. Because we don't, we don't look at our presence, we don't look at our gifting, at our talents as God-given and therefore important for health and unity in the context of the church that God, by His sovereign design and wisdom, has placed us into. Both tendencies lay an extra burden on others. We need to value unity, and we do that by being committed to the body of Christ that He has, by His wisdom, placed us in. And verses 18 to 20 then. He says, but in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. The fourth value that is critical for a healthy church is the value of cooperation. Of, If I use the word interdependence, The value of working together, coming together to do tasks, so that very little in church life is done individually. Most of it should be done in the context of group life. It should be done in the context of teams, where people come together and say, how can we help each other? How can I help you? How can you help me? I want to value your God-given gifting. The value of cooperation, because we value each other's unique contributions and gifts. And where do those gifts come from? Well. This verse tells us that God has a unique design and plan for the body. And the uniqueness that is present is not accidental. It's intentional. The fact that we're different and have different kinds of talents and giftings is intentional and it makes us stronger and allows us to be unified. God wants us to be valuing cooperation in terms of the body of Christ. You say, Tim, what, what is critical... In in, in terms of promoting a spirit of cooperation. Here's what I believe is critical. I believe humility is critical to cooperation. Because you know what cooperation means? It means deferring. (laughs) It means taking two opinions and merging them together. Don't we all love doing that? Husbands, don't you love doing that with your wives? Wives, don't you love doing that with your husbands? Deferring so that we can cooperate. No, you know what we tend to do? We tend to be self-centered. We tend to overvalue our gifts and undervalue the input of others. And God in this text, I believe, is fighting against those tendencies. I think it comes out in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. He says, for by the grace given to me, this gift, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with realistic or sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given to you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so it is with Christ. We who are many form one body, and each belongs to the other. That's the picture of cooperation. Each belongs to the other. We each make a contribution to each other that makes us healthy in terms of our function and effectiveness as the body of Christ. All service ranks the same with God. And you know what that does? That is devastating to pride. It's devastating to pride to realize that all gifts have equal value. And may God help us to understand that when we work together with all kinds of gifts, we become a healthy and effective body of Christ. Do you ever sit back and realize that God placed you in terms of the church exactly where he wanted you to be? That your participation in the local body of Christ, that you are in, in, in the church family that you are a part of, is not by mistake. You, every individual believer, is an important part of the success and effectiveness of this church. Now, that leads me to another thought. What blocks usefulness in the church? It is, is it always the fault of the individual? All right, can I just be very candid? The answer to the question is no. No. It's not always the fault of the person who is gifted but doesn't know how to plug in. Sometimes it can be the fault Uh, or failure of leadership to seek out and to help people find a way to plug in the body of Christ. Sometimes it can be the result of moral failure, failure to manage our time, failure to manage our marriages, failure to manage our work life, so that we just can't get time to commit to serving each other and cooperating with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we belittle our own gifts. Sometimes there are misunderstandings between people. These are the kinds of things that we need to go after and destroy so that the church can become healthy and work together for the glory of God. Because God has gifted every believer and God has a plan for every believer to be part of this bigger work that he is doing, which leads to verses 21 to 24. The fifth value that I want us to look at emerges here. Verse 21, he says, or twenty he says this, or 21, I'm sorry. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. Now, that becomes a fascinating statement, doesn't it? The eye says to the hand, you know what? I can do my job without you. And then the wind blows. And dust gets into the air. And dust lands in the eyeball. When the speck of dust blows into an eye, instinctively the eye is rubbed with a the finger. There is no debate with the finger about whether to help the eye. Later, after pulling the eyelid, causing the eye to water, the speck is washed out. In a short time, the eye is back to normal, but without the hand, including its specially functioning fingers, the irritant would have remained. You see how God has put your body together? When when something gets into your eye, a piece of dust gets into your eye, I'm going to tell you what doesn't happen. Your mind does not deliberate and say, oh, hand, hang on. Let's have a discussion about how you should get involved in the body. Okay, there is something instinctive based upon gifting that causes the hand to reach up and move the eyelid that causes the the, uh, the ducts in the eye to release water that washes out the speck that's in the eye. It is a beautiful way that God has built the body of Christ. So the eye cannot say to the hand. Okay? It's prohibited. The hand has a relationship to the eye. It has a relationship to every part of the body. And so here's the truth that emerges. A value of appreciation. A value of appreciation. Can I challenge you to do this cultivate and express an appreciation to each other for your gifts. Go to people that teach your kids in Sunday school and say to them, thank you for the contribution that you make to our children. Go to the people that help with the fellowship after the service and say, thank you for bringing this together because it produces a context in which I'm able to connect with my brothers and sisters in Christ at another level and prayerfully that will lead to a deeper level. Go to those that sing on the worship team that come on Thursday night and come on Sunday morning early to help us enter into God's presence together and say thank you for releasing time from your life and for cooperating with this church so that we can be more effective for the glory of God. Spend time appreciating each other. And it's fascinating then what Paul says, and, and I just want to go through this quickly. He says, on the contrary, so, so the, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, it's absolutely the opposite of what Paul's saying. The natural way of things is contrary to that. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts of the body that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Let me just break that down for you. It's three categories. Okay? Three categories. Three categories. You have the parts of the body that are weaker, indispensable. What are they? Okay? Most commentators believe that he's he's referring to internal organs that are vital to existence. Kidneys, heart, liver, lungs. Okay? They are weaker. They're not meant for public exposure like hands and feet, are they? So they're put in a protected context. At the second level, he says, there are parts of our body that are less representable. There are parts of the body that look better covered than uncovered. And so we we accord to them a special sort of covering or protection. And then a a, a word that refers more to uh, uh, reproductive aspects of the body are treated with special modesty. They have a function, but they are not for public display. There is this beautiful picture that God brings together. About the body as a whole. And we are called on by God to appreciate that full-orbed picture of the body. Now, there's an interesting uh, picture that emerges here. The weaker parts, he says in verse 22, are indispensable. And then the prominent parts aren't as vital to function. Here's what he's saying. You can live without an eye, right? Right? You can live without an ear. You can live without a foot. You can live without a hand. You cannot live without a heart. You cannot live without a kidney. There are vital parts of the body that are not visible in the body, and yet they are critical to the health and function of the church. I think of those that have the gift of faith. I think of those that pray faithfully. I think of those who encourage others with cards and reach out. Uh, Mindy Wells, who is a new... Believer in our church family was in the hospital a couple, about a month ago now uh, with pneumonia. Sent me a couple texts because you know what she was? She was overwhelmed by the expressions of love from people in our church that took time out of their schedule to go and meet a need. And guess what? I don't even know who those people are by and large, but they made a difference—a vital difference that communicated the love of Christ to someone who was part of the body of Christ. Folks, look, there are a lot of things that you can do in church life that are visible. They kind of register on the list of service activities in the body of Christ. There are a lot of things in the church that never register. The meal that's taken to someone who is sick. The card of encouragement that's sent to someone who lost their job, who was suffering. Someone who gives gift cards to help a family in need. Nobody knows about it. But it is vital to this idea of appreciating the body. So let's not overdo it on the visible gifts to the point that we make the less visible gifts feel unneeded. No, every one of them are accorded honor by God. And we need to take time to be sure that we express appreciation to the people and our church family that function in those levels. Because the body is more effective when there is this appreciation for each other and when all the parts that are present work together. Can I ask you this question this morning? Do we appreciate those, do I, do you, appreciate those who serve in our church in quiet ways? Who reach out and make a difference? Who sacrifice in ways that nobody is even aware of? Do we love And appreciate them. Because I think what this text is saying is that God accords them a special honor. I think this. I think heaven is going to be surprising for many people. I think it's going to be surprising for many people. Hebrews 6.10 is one of my favorite verses. All the secret things you do. The Bible says this. God is not unjust. He will not forget the labor of love that you poured out upon his saints. You know what I think that's saying? I think that's saying that one day you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life. And I believe in heaven, God is going to express to every Christian who has labored in quiet ways his deep and profound appreciation for all the secret acts of service that no one sees. Because here's what the Bible says, there's nothing secret that will not be revealed. There's no act of love and service done for Christ for the body of Christ, by the body of Christ, that God doesn't notice. That should so encourage our hearts. God accords special honor. The last thought that emerges from verse 24 and following. It says, but God has combined the members of the body. Isn't that beautiful? He is a social chemist. He combines the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there would be no division in the body. And the division in Corinth was rooted in what? Visible gifts taking precedent and importance over the gifts that were not visible. And the feeling was, if you had certain external gifts, you were in the in crowd. And if you didn't have those gifts, you were part of the church, but you were less important. And what does God do? What is Paul doing? He's flipping this around, saying... That God has given greater honor to the parts that lack it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And this is, I think, what is very important as the last value that I want to list for you this morning. That will cause us to become a healthier church. It is the value of affection. The value of affection. Notice how he says it. That each part should have equal concern for each for the others and then verse 26 he explains how that would look if one part suffers every part suffers with it and if one part is honored every part rejoices with it folks here's a question for you this morning when a brother or sister in christ experiences something that blesses them they get a blessing from god they get a raise at work they get a promotion they're blessed with the child. What, just think through the list. When they're blessed with something that you wanted and you didn't get it. What is our flesh tendency? Our flesh tendency is to be jealous. To covet. What does God say? God says, you know what? Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those that weep. Show genuine affection for each other in the body of Christ. When someone has a victory, go share that victory with them. When someone in the body rejoices uh, in something that happens in their life, go and rejoice with them. When they're hurting because of a circumstance in their life, go and get beside them. Don't stand at a distance. God didn't create us to live in isolation. He created us to enjoy life together. Sharing pain and sharing joy is part of what it means to be in the body of Christ. If you wonder whether your body is interrelated and whether care given to each part is critical and vital, think of the last time that you woke up at night and were walking to the restroom or to the refrigerator. I don't know which one you do. And you stubbed your pinky toe on something. Okay, you know what you found out? You know that song we sing, you know, the the knee bone's connected to the hip bone and on and on? You found out something. That toe is part of your body, but what is it? It is vitally connected to the rest of your body. And you're screaming in agony on the floor, expressing your love and devotion and appreciation to your wife because she let something sitting on the floor is a result of what? Well, it's your wife could say, hey, it's just your stupid little toe. This is part of your body. Well, what's the reaction? Same reaction you've had if you've ever, uh, with a hammer, yourself on the nail or on the end of your finger you know what you find out your whole body is connected to your finger i had this happen to me when about uh, 15 years ago i was starting a mower out behind our house eight horsepower breaking strap mower pulled it and it compressed back and when it did that it drew my hand into the shroud and i went like that instantaneously pulled back from it and i left something behind i left the fingernail on my second finger behind I mean, cleanly plucked it out. Okay, here's what I found out. Your heart is not here. <laughs> your heart is in the end of your finger. Okay, that's why at the hospital they put that thing on there with that red light. That's where your heart is. You know what I found out? I, I could, you know, My wife called Carrie Smith. Carrie probably remember this. Carrie wants to come down and scrub it out. Oh, you're not going to touch my heart. <laughs> like, but what I found out that day was this. Okay, and you find every time some injury happens to your body, you find out that your whole body responds to meet that need. And, and when a church is healthy, here's what happens. When people experience a victory, the whole church says, you know what, I praise God for what he's doing in your life. He and here's what you have to do. You have to defeat jealousy and claim affection and genuine rejoicing. When someone's hurting, a brother or sister in Christ is hurting, they're part of the body. And what does Paul say? He says, you know what? When the one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts with them. Because that's what we do in the body of Christ. Because it's all connected. Go back to the analogy of the puzzle. With the jigsaw puzzle, there is diversity. i just give you four of these. There's diversity. Each part is crucial. There's unity. No part is the whole picture. There's cooperation. Each part has a different shape and purpose and place in the picture. There's appreciation and affection. A few parts together form an incomplete picture. Okay, so it's so important that we understand that when we are looking at the church, it's kind of like that puzzle. It's kind of like the body. Every part makes a substantial and unique contribution. And when any one part withdraws, And says, well, since I'm not this or I'm not that, as Paul personifies in the physical body, it affects everyone. When I withdraw my service, others have to carry a heavier load. May God help us to grasp this picture, which I I, admittedly, there's some complex statements in here, but get the picture. Value in the context of church, gratitude, diversity, unity, cooperation, appreciation, and deep, Affection for each other. This morning I close by asking you this question. Are you in the body of Christ? Verse 13, have you been immersed in the Spirit of God as a result of the convicting work of the Spirit of God in your life, seeing your need for Christ, cried out to Him saying, God, I am a sinner, I need the blood of Christ applied to my life. Have you experienced the Spirit of God coming into your life, changing your heart, And giving you new life. Say, Tim, what are you asking me? Are you part of the body? Have you been born from above, baptized by the Spirit of God at conversion, brought into this new unit called the body of Christ? And if you haven't, this morning I would ask you to do this. If you want to value the body of Christ and be part of what God is doing, come and participate in the grace that He freely offers whether slave or free, as Paul says, whether Jew or Greek, there is nothing that matters. There is nothing that you keep, can keep you from the grace of God. He loves you and wants to incorporate you into His body. He wants you to know it now, and He wants you to know it in the future. The second question I ask you this morning is this. In light of the fact that the church is precious to Christ, that she is a priority to Christ, can I ask you to ask yourself this question? Is the church this morning Precious to you. Is it precious to you? Would you be willing this morning to evaluate your commitment to your church family? Because when I go back to verse 12, it says the body is a unit, but it is made up of many members. People that commit to a local expression of Christ because this letter is written, if I went back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I said, just let me quick check this. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul to the church in Corinth. Every local church can be addressed as the body of Christ. Unique as a unit, diverse in its gifting. To do the work of God for the glory of God. And when that work is done, it brings joy to the children of God. Let's bow our heads together. Father.